Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 32 to 44. Hear these words. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying also? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So when we were still living in Cambodia, uh, Micaiah, my eldest child, was born. And after she was a few months old, we took a trip out to the village to visit my in-laws. Now, my wife, she's been a Christian for over 20 years now, but uh, her parents are not. In fact, her dad was not only a Buddhist monk, uh, he was one of the teachers at the pagoda, uh, teaching all the other monks for the whole village. So as you can imagine, uh, her bringing home the foreigner, who was also a Christian missionary, uh, made for some interesting conversation. Right, a lot of it behind my back and ironically a lot of it in front of my face because they know I don't speak the language all that well. Uh, so there you go. Now to get to the village, we had to take a ferry over the Mekong River. And so this made the trip about an hour, hour and a half, uh, maybe longer on a, just a wonderful day and it did not make the trip any less hot. See, there's only two seasons in Cambodia, dry and flood. Not hot is not an option, okay? So our sweet little infant girl, she had never been trapped in the suffocating heat of an unair-conditioned 15-passenger van for that long, only then to arrive at a village with no electricity or running water. Yeah, we stepped back in time. Um, so quite naturally, the, the baby starts losing its mind. Uh, I felt the same way. But as Lita sat in the middle of the living room floor trying to cool Micaiah off and calm her down, my in-laws start running around uh, doing something in a, in a way that I had never seen them do in all of our visits out there, all my visits out there, right? And so they gathered up some water uh, in this little metal bowl and they start stirring it with uh, 
uh, sticks of lit incense, and they start like kind of talking to each other while they're doing this, or they're saying words again. I don't know. Uh, and so, but I start connecting the dots to what might be going on, and I start looking at my wife, like, are they doing what I think they're doing? Is this about to? Ha and then, what are we gonna do if I'm right about what's happening? See, the their culture. They believe that the baby can see spirits that we cannot. And so they believe that Micaiah is reacting to an evil spirit in the house. And so they're mixing up this water as a protection for her and then as a way to drive out the evil spirits. Okay. Now, normally, I leave them alone, right? Like I'm a guest in your house, in your uh, country. I'm not going to participate in what you're doing, but I'm not going to walk into the middle of your house and tell you to stop doing your worship practice. But this one seems oddly and specifically directed at us under the name of a God that we will not honor. And so this is kind of one of those times where we had to ever so respectfully refuse the elders and tell them that they're not going to do whatever they're about to do. Our child would not be receiving the protection of whatever God they were about to call on. And was it even necessary? Like it's 8,000 degrees right now. The baby's never been outside this long. It's hot. There aren't any evil spirits running around your house trying to attack my daughter. That's ridiculous. Or is it? I mean, why do I take my Bible with me to a village with no electricity and try to read it by like the sun? Like, I don't know. Am I doing this to study the Bible more? Because I didn't get enough study back in the air-conditioned electric city? Or is it because I believe that the God in these pages is real and active and that the God of the Bible is more powerful than the prince of the power of the air and the evil lurking about seeking someone to destroy. So I start to pray to my God to move in this place, whatever might be around us, that God would protect my family, that we would not fall prey to the tempter, but that we would be delivered from the evil spirits. And if I'm being honest with you, as I opened myself up to whatever might be in that house uh, around us at that time, I start to feel a little uncomfortable, a little unsettled. And then as I prayed and, and as the prayer came through, I uh, felt relaxed, felt at peace, felt comforted. Now, I have no idea what was there and what wasn't there. And as I relive that experience, I kind of question to what degree a spiritual battle actually took place at that time, or if I just let the villagers get me all worked up. Like, I don't know. But I know this. Christ offers us life. But we must walk in it. We must commit our life to the impossible asks and the unthinkable goals of God. God is going to take you places you never thought you could go and ask you to do things you never thought you could do. God is going to show you things that defy logic and question reality. But as you lose confidence and hope in all the things of this world that you thought brought you safety and security, you are going to gain a knowledge and an assurance of God that you thought only existed in the pages of Scripture. 
If you want life instead of death, you're going to have to submit your life to Christ and then trust God to guide your steps into unimaginable places. The first one is out of the grave. Turn to your neighbor and say, take off your grave clothes. Okay, that's just like how the nine o'clock service reacted. Let's do it again. Turn to your other neighbor and say, take off your grave clothes. There it is. All right. Our passage today is the tail end of the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So I want to go back. I want to pick it up from the beginning. I want to see how we got to this point. And as we do, I want us to think about the, the spiritual realm, the realities of the spiritual realm at work in our lives uh, around us uh, here every day. Now, Jesus, he knows Mary, Martha, and Lazarus quite well. Mary is one of Jesus' inner disciples uh, just outside the main 12. Jesus has spent time in Mary and Martha's home. He's taught lessons there. He's lived life there. Jesus has a relationship with this family. Verse 5 says that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when they call him for help, Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, and he says, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And that's good news. But Jesus doesn't go to their house right away. Interestingly, he stays two more days at the Jordan, across the river where John had been baptizing earlier. Now, if you're in a hurry, you can get uh, from Bethany across the Jordan to Bethany near Jerusalem in about a day. That's hurried pace. Regular pace, it's going to take you about two days, okay? So even by the best estimates, by the time the messenger reaches Jesus with the news, Lazarus is already dead, which makes Jesus' response that the sickness will not end in death all the more curious. But at the same time, it makes it a little less curious why Jesus would hear about the near-death sickness of a friend he loved so much and take his sweet time getting there. Verse 14 says that Jesus knows Lazarus is dead and that it is good that he wasn't there. Hmm. So that we may believe. Believe what? I mean, Jesus has already raised the widow's son from the dead in Luke 7, and he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead in Luke 8. Both of these events occur before John 11. So do we really need another resurrection story? Yes. But why? Like, we have seen the miracle. We have seen the power. We have been given the evidence. Yet there is something we are still missing. There's something we still don't get. Verse 21, Martha tells Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would still be alive. And then she says, I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you're the resurrection and the life. And I know that Lazarus will be resurrected on the final day. But if you would have been here, he would still be alive today. Now, Martha isn't accusing Jesus of anything. She's affirming his power. But there is something she is still missing. There is something she still doesn't understand. God's people don't wear grave clothes. They wear robes of righteousness, and they are covered in God's glory. 
In Christ, the old has passed away and the new has come. You who were once dead are a new creation in Christ Jesus. In John 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus that we must be born again because no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. Which is why in our baptism, when we go under the water, we are saying we are identifying with Christ in his death. And as we are brought out of the water, we say that we are now likewise identifying with Christ in his resurrection. So follow me just real quick. Like, what this means is you are not a fleshly being, Christian. You are a spirit-filled being. In Christ, there is now a different life force driving who you are. This idea that Christianity is simply taking who I was and adding Christian vocabulary misses the point. We are not taking our old lives and overlaying Christian vocabulary, morality, or ethic. Being born again means precisely that. The old me is dead. The new me is alive in Christ. This is not to be a better version of you. If you want to live your best life now, Christianity is not going to help you. The God of the Bible is not offering you the best of a bad situation. He is not in the business of compromising and taking the lesser of two evils. God is in the business of eradicating evil and bringing forth life from death. I don't want to live my best life now. I want to live as God created me to be. I want to live my life in relationship with the God of the universe who gave himself up for me and continues to lavish grace upon my life. I want to live with the assurance that neither angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor the future, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There it is. Or if God is for us, who can be against us? You were not born again by the Spirit of God to let the evils of this world triumph over you. Christian, you were given the spirit of the living God who goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with the devil in the wilderness, withstands the flaming arrows of the evil one, and who conquers death and the grave. Your daddy holds the keys to the kingdom of heaven and hell, and nothing will vanquish the power of the authority of God. You who have been born again by water and the Spirit have the assurance of God Almighty to say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When you are born again, the world cannot take away your life because they did not give it to you. You can't take my peace. You can't take my joy. You can't take my assurance you don't own me. I belong to Christ. The world can't hold you. It can't contain you because alive in Christ, the grave is nothing but a stepping stone to God's grace. Now shout at somebody across the room. Tell them to take off their grave clothes. Yes, sir. All right. 
come in real close. I don't want you to miss Satan at work in your life during this next part. Martha has confessed Jesus to be the Messiah. She fully believes in his power and his abilities. So does Mary. Martha believes in the resurrection and she believes that Jesus holds the keys. But as they stand in front of Lazarus' tomb and Jesus tells them to remove the stone, Martha confusedly reminds Jesus Lazarus has been dead four days and that by now his decaying body will produce a great odor. King James says, he stinketh. So here it is, church, like, if Christ has a kingdom that is not of this world, and we are ambassadors and co-heirs with Christ, sent out with the gospel, then we have to start acting like it. God is going to roll the stone away from your grave and call you into life. Christ will call you by name and raise you up out of sin and death and give you a new life. Do not let Satan tell you that the body inside stinks. They're too far gone. Well, they've been dead too long. Well, their life is decaying. We don't follow the rules of this world. We don't follow the metaphysics of this world. We are not tied to a dim view in this world of what is possible. We are people of the resurrection. We are children of an ever-present, all-knowing God who interacts with all who call on his name. Take off your grave clothes and go proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. Find somebody who is perishing apart from the transforming power of the gospel. Roll the stone away from the grave of their life and let Jesus call people to life. Verse 42 says that Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave for our benefit. That's interesting. Kind of feel like Lazarus may have benefited from it a little bit. It's not what it says. It's for our benefit, so that we may believe. Not that we may believe in a miracle. Not that we may believe in the resurrection. Not that we would believe in power. All of these things he has already done. Jesus talks to God. Lazarus is raised from the dead for our benefit, so that we might believe the power and the authority of God in this world to bring death out of life, bring life out of death today. Jesus talks to God. Lazarus is raised from the dead for our benefit so that we might believe in the power and authority of God to bring life out of death today. Martha knew it was coming in the last days. And Jesus says, it is available to you here and now. Watch what I'm about to do. God always trades the decay of death for his divine glory because the people of God do not wear grave clothes. Now, this doesn't make life any easier, but it makes life worth it. I mean, you're going to go through stuff, right? In this life, you will have trouble. Jesus says, but in the same breath, he also says what? Take heart, because I have overcome this world.
Through the trials and tribulations of this world, we know that through all things, Christ is Lord over everything. Uh, so through the trials and tribulations of this world, God teaches his people to walk by faith and not by sight. Let me show you what I mean. When Jesus hears about Lazarus, he tells his disciples they need to cross the Jordan back into Bethany uh, to Judea, and they try to stop him. Why? Well, hey, uh, Jesus, like a short while ago, they tried to stone you. Right? Remember that? Remember when you almost died? Sure you want to go back? Yeah, I want to go back. That's where the harvest is plentiful. And Lazarus is dead. Don't worry about it. Uh, it's okay. It's not over yet. Don't, don't move that stone. The smell will be too much for you to bear. And then Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So somebody needs to hear this today. Maybe it's you. I know you believe. But those who believe in the risen Christ are the ones who respond to God's call to come out of the grave. Stop trying to remind Jesus why his calling on your life is illogical. It's not illogical. It's impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. But lucky for you and for me, our Heavenly Father delights in lavishing his grace upon us without measure. And so whatever Christ has been calling you to do that you have been ignoring or wherever the Holy Spirit has been leading you to go, take heart that Christ goes before you and makes a way, that there is no height nor depth that can stop what God will do in your life for his glory. I say God won't give you anything you can't handle. And to that I say, shut up. Satan, this is nowhere in the Bible. It is a lie from hell that keeps you in a cycle of struggle and subjugation of sin and failure. It tells you you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, and then it keeps a list of all the times you fall over. This statement is inwardly focused, and it relies solely on our power, and that's why we fail. You can't be strong enough to not need Jesus. All right, Lazarus doesn't come out of the grave because he can handle it. He's four days deep into death. Lazarus comes out of the grave because Jesus calls him by name and commands him to come out. So here it is, church. Like if you and I aren't totally and utterly reliant on the power of Christ to work miracles in our lives, we won't be able to handle anything we are given. We certainly won't be able to handle anything given to us by God. But when everyone else is convinced that you are dead and buried and not worth any more trouble, the God of the universe says, roll the stone away and let them out. Take heart that Jesus stands in the middle of the doubters and the devils in your life, and Jesus yells in a loud voice, the Bible says, that rises above the mourning and the wailing, and Jesus calls each and every one of you out of the grave. Come out, 
and take off your grave clothes. We are people of the resurrection. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Death is never the final word for the people of God. Jesus is the final word. And the word has come near to you today. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. I want you to get this. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they were already close to Jesus. Mary sat at his feet as one of his disciples. Lazarus is already his buddy, and they've got a deep love for one another. They already believed he was the Messiah and that he had the power to work miracles. But do you think that their relationship with Jesus changes after this? Yeah? Life in Christ is radically different than who you were before Christ. Otherwise, we would not need a new birth, and Christ could just leave us in the grave. But that is not how we get into the kingdom of heaven. So which Lazarus are you? Are you good buddies with Jesus? Believing him to be the Messiah, believing him to have the power to work the miracle, but you are not yet born again. Are you dead and decaying, just kind of a lifeless shell of a body? Do you feel like everyone has left you to rot? Or can you hear Jesus calling your name to come out of the grave and commanding you with the authority of heaven? to take off those grave clothes. Christ has called each and every one of you out of the grave, and he has given you the authority to throw off everything that is binding you. Don't lay down and die. Get up and live. Let's pray. Almighty God, you have knit together your elect in one communion and fellowship in the mystical body of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Grant us grace so to follow your holy saints in all virtuous and godly living, that we might come to those unspeakable joys which you have prepared for those who sincerely love you. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.